welcome everybody back to the Read More podcast. Hang on. And of course, that's when B is going to start barking. Because the garbage men are coming up and down the street. I'm not going to edit this out. I'm going to keep B barking because last time B barked and everyone blamed Toby. And I was like, that was not Toby. That was Beatrice Delphinium barking. So I might and so that Toby will be free of all charges, acquitted. Well, she may bark again, but go ahead and do your intro. Okay. Welcome, everybody, back to the Read More podcast. This is, I believe, our fourth episode. Um, and today's episode is going to be a little bit different because it's going to be a Q&A. So we have received a lot of questions from our various social media platforms, and we are just going to spend today having some fun and answering them over coffee. So if you're new to the podcast, my name is Emily Caroline Moore. I'm a reader, I'm a writer, I'm a podcaster, and today I am a question answerer. So go ahead, Mom. And I am your um, stalwart sidekick. Uh, Ann Ferguson, Stay at Soul, and I am also a reader. I'm a teacher. I'm not a writer, um, although I do great a lot of writing. Uh, I am a quilter. I'm a wife, and I am a mom, and I am mom to you as well as your brother, Oliver, who did that amazing um, intro music for our podcast, so shout out to Oliver Stancil for the wonderful groovy music at the beginning of the podcast yes and that is a new recording of our intro music so he sent me a new recording with what he called improved percussion so right it sounded great it sounded wonderful okay so emily let's start this off the way we always do so sweetheart what are you reading Ah, okay i am so excited to talk to you about what i'm reading right now I am reading a debut novel by R.F. Kuang. It is called The Poppy War, and it is a fantasy fiction novel about the main character, whose name is Rin. She is a poor orphan girl in a war-torn fantasy country that is based, I believe, on China. And she doesn't know it, but she has secret untapped powers to channel vengeful gods when she fights and so she's also incredibly smart so she tests into this illustrious academy she gets to go and receive all this wonderful military training and she begins to learn more about her heritage and how to channel vengeful phoenix gods and there are river gods and it's just an amazing debut novel written by I think a very young author. I think R.F. Kuang is only like 24 or 25 years old. And it's just, it's absolutely phenomenal. I would say that so far, this is one of my most favorite books that I've read this year in 2020. Um, and it's a great novel for people who like fighty fights, who like mythology and not your usual Greco-Roman mythology, but Chinese and Japanese mythology. It's, it's so interesting to learn about and it's great for people who like very strong kick butt female characters so it, the poppy sounds, war the poppy war it sounds like a um 
a smoothie of all of your favorite kinds of things like fantasy fiction and Asian culture and mythology and all of that kind of, you know, blended up into a delicious drink of a book. Yes. And did I, did I mention that she learns martial arts? So there's that as well. So it's <laughs> okay, just perfect. Jessica. It's like someone said, we're going to write a book for Emily. <laughs> <laughs> the cherry on the top. Well, Mom, what are you reading? Well, I have taken another dip into the Stephen Kingdom. Oh, so indeed. I I can tell you that I'm I'm I've been feeling kind of brave uh, for me because, as I've mentioned before, Stephen King is not um, some you know would not be the the place I would go. But I was so intrigued with my last read that right now I'm reading. Um, his book, 112263, which is um, a novel ultimately about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And it has um, like the historical fiction side of it where it's all based on these true events. And then there's a time travel element because the main character, Jake Epping, goes through a portal to 1958 and um, attempts to change history. And one of the things that he says that I really think was is interesting in this book, and I'm not going to give anything away, I'm 85% finished with it, obviously reading it on my Kindle app, so I know the percentage. Um, but one of the things that he says all throughout the novel is the past is obdurate. It does not want to be changed. And so in attempting to change the past, he gets into a lot of messes. And so that makes it really, really good. It's like the other Stephen King that I, I read. It's a page turner, very long. Um, and so I, I'm not shooting through this one quite as quickly as, as the last one, but I'm enjoying it. I'm anxious to see how how he, how King um, makes all of the things that we know versus all of the things that he does in the book kind of mesh together at the end. So, um, like I said, I should finish this and then probably this weekend I'll have to give an update, but it's been really good. I've enjoyed it. That sounds excellent. I'll have to add that to my King reading list. I think my next Stephen King book is going to be Salem's Lot. I have it stashed somewhere on the bookshelf, but I'll have to add that one because that sounds really good. And you, you love books about time travel. Can I just point that out? Well, that is. is a fantasy trope that you just happen to love. I read years and years ago, a book. Um, I, I remember it was by Jude Devereaux and it was called Night in Shining Armor. And it's, it's what we would call a, kind of a bodice ripper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I probably read this book 30 years ago. I don't know how long ago it was published. Got it out of the library. And it was about time travel. Um, it was a romance novel. And, you know, in spite of all the steaminess in this bodice ripper book, the thing that I liked the best was the idea of time travel. And we're going to talk about, we've got some questions in the list today, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that particular device. Mm. And 
why that appeals and, and some questions I have about it. But based on some of the questions that some of our listeners have um, posed for us to answer today, I'm really excited about uh, the questions that folks have asked. Great questions from wonderful people that we adore. And so I'm looking forward to getting started with answering some questions. Well, then, without further ado, let's actually go ahead and get started. So as I said at the beginning, today's episode is a little bit different. It is pure Q&A. So we put out a call for questions on our social media platforms, and we received several awesome questions from friendly readers from Facebook, Instagram, and a couple randos from Twitter. So, <laughs> so we are going to go ahead and start with our friends with our people that we know um, from Facebook and Instagram. And we have a lot of amazing questions that you guys have submitted. So do you want me to go ahead and kick it off? Why don't you take the first one and, um, and then we'll go from there. Sounds good. So our first question comes from Sadie Mason Smith, who's a dear high school friend um, and fellow fantasy fiction lover and reader. So Sadie asks, what is your favorite, least favorite trope in fiction? Does it change across fiction subgenres? Okay, Do you want to so tackle think, that one first? Yeah, I want us to talk about the um, the term, first of all, a trope. Because there are a lot of people who may not know exactly what a trope is. And dictionary definition of a trope is a word or expression used in a figurative sense. But then it's also a common or overused theme or device, which means that sometimes a trope is, is a, a, a situation, a plot pusher, or a device that's used in fiction, sometimes overused. And some folks see trope as a negative thing. Well, it's not necessary. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. Um, and I think we've already said that one of my favorite ones, something that is used in fiction, um, is the idea of time travel. And that, uh, Sadie asks, is what's my most favorite? And I think that's it. I think the idea of, of going back in time and seeing time from another um, perspective or from a person, a, a contemporary person's perspective to look at the past is cool. Does it change across fiction subgenres? I would say my interest in it does not. Um, because I can, I can look at at it from fiction or from nonfiction. I would, I would say that's my favorite. I'm not sure that I have a least favorite trope, but definitely time travel is my favorite one. What would you say was your favorite? Do you have a least favorite? So I'll start out with my least favorite trope because, as you know, I like to start out in the negative and ranting and complaining. Uh, but my least favorite trope, and this is not just in fiction, this is in any story, any movie, any television show. My least favorite trope is the woman in the refrigerator. So that is a literary or storytelling device where a romantic interest usually, who is female, is killed off somewhere in the story in order to further the male-driven plot. So an example of this, classic, even though I love this character, an example of this is The Punisher, 
the Punisher starts off a guy. He has a family. He has a wife. And lo and behold, bad guys come and they murder his wife, murder his family. The wife serves no other purpose than to fuel the anger of this man who now has to find his strength, find his inner hero, and go off and complete his story. So the woman served no purpose except to channel his rage and give him meaning. And I'm sorry, that's not what women are here for. <laughs> so, I have to agree. I have to agree. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Um, but yeah, that's definitely an overworked and very negative way to employ a female character. Yeah, it's, uh, it is so named because a female journalist Back, I believe, in the 1960s or 70s, I can't actually remember the decade, but a female journalist read an issue of The Green Lantern. And in this issue, The Green Lantern comes home to his spouse or girlfriend or wife and finds a note from the villain that says, look in the refrigerator. And he looks in the refrigerator and, and there she is. His love, his love interest has been murdered and stuffed in the refrigerator. And this female journalist was like, how often does this happen? This happens all the time. Stop putting women in refrigerators. And I, I completely agree. <laughs> that is my least favorite trope. Um, and it does not change across subgenres. I hate it in every genre. I hate it in every medium. I'm not saying that we can't have, you know, lovers die in fiction. Right. But those lovers are those lovers are characters too okay right. they need they need depth and backstory and meaning beyond their connection to the male protagonist so going back to the first part and sharing my favorite trope in fiction this is also across all fiction i love the and maybe this is a little cliche but as you said it's not always cliche a trope does not always have to be bad my favorite thing is the changing hero's journey where you start off with someone who is, you know, maybe a, a, a farm boy or a young kitchen girl or someone who is a teenager in high school and doesn't really know much, really lacks confidence and competence. And throughout their journey, they change into someone who is confident super hyper competent and they become the hero that is able to save the world so I don't like characters all the time like say th those iconic characters like James Bond and Sherlock Holmes who you know they're gonna save the day because they're already competent they're already really really badass I like seeing characters start out young and helpless and little nothings and then they grow into a hero through hardship, through training, through, you know, tragedy, through something that helps them become a hero, through their, the help of their friends, that sort of thing. So that sort of quintessential hero's journey is my, okay. my favorite trope. Okay, so let's go on to our next um, question. This is a, um, a question by Jordan Graves, who is a former student of mine from way back um in when I was teaching middle school and I believe that you know Jordan from 
from school as well. He says, I'm curious what you guys think about audiobooks. To you guys, is the benefit of reading about the words knowledge, how it expands your minds and makes you think, or is the physical aspect of reading sitting, eyes on paper, scrolling your eyes important too? Are there retention or learning benefits to reading versus listening? Let me start this one out by saying, absolutely, in my opinion, audiobooks count. They totally count. They count for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's a book. And if something is going in your mind, it is expanding you and making you more than you were. I think there is some benefit to reading a paper book um, or an ebook and, and doing that discipline with your eyes. But for some people and their time schedules and their situations, audiobooks are are the thing. If you are sight impaired or if you are un if you travel a lot and you're unable to read and scroll the, the words with your eyes um, because you get that travel sick, um, audiobooks are great. And um, and so that's that's a definitely a benefit. I really don't know that I can um, answer the retention or learning benefits. You do more in audiobooks than I do. So talk a little bit about your opinion of audiobooks, Emily. Sure. I absolutely adore audiobooks. I think that audiobooks are a wonderful resource. I will say that I tend to listen to audiobooks for nonfiction only. I have only ever listened to one fiction audiobook, and that was um, a collection of Norse mythology by Neil Gaiman. And the reason that I use that as an audiobook is because those stories were part of an oral tradition originally, and I thought it would be cool to listen to them instead of reading them. That's the only reason. But usually for audiobooks, I, I listen to nonfiction. I listen to things about health and wellness, about mental health. I uh, listen to books about psychology about improving uh, productivity, things like that. I find that for me personally, if it's a fiction story, I want to immerse myself. And that's a little bit harder to do with an audiobook, just because usually when you're listening to an audiobook, you're oftentimes doing other things like driving, washing the dishes, doing a chore, and you can't immerse yourself fully. Whereas when you sit down and you read a book with your eyes, you're in that world, you know? So I, I often find that for something that I just really want to get into, sitting down and reading is awesome. If it's something that I want to, you know, have new ideas introduced to me and kind of marinate in them for a little while, that's where the audiobook comes in. Gotcha. Okay. And his last question, he says, either separately or along with those questions, why do you guys read? What is the biggest benefit you feel from reading? Now, we've got to be really careful here because this is where we could camp out for like the next hour and a half. But I'm yeah, going to kind of... Jordan, this could, be a, uh, this could be an entire episode. So. <laughs> exactly. And may at some point. So you may have spurred a, an entire future episode. Um, for me, I want to say that outside of, of the, you know, the learning, outside of the expanding... Um, 
outside of introducing myself to new types of people and places and experiences, experiences for me, reading, particularly fiction, is 100% escapism. If you want to travel to a new country, do you want to travel to a different time period, escape the situation that you find yourself in? Read a book. Go somewhere. It is the cheapest form of travel and vacation in the world. And that's, I guess that's, you know, from my earliest memories of reading, the ability to just escape and go somewhere else is my main reason for reading. What about you? I would say that my, my main reason is similar. Um, I, I wouldn't use the word, for me at least, I wouldn't use the word escapism just because I love my life. I'm not trying to escape right. my life. <laughs> but, but I will say I love getting to live multiple awesome lives. And so that's something that I hear a lot of readers say. That's something that I hear a lot of people who play video games say or people that play you know, role-playing games like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, things like that. They get to live multiple lives. They get right. to go on multiple adventures and you get to do it as a person that in real life you could never be. I'm never, I'm never going to be, you know, a genetically mutated magical monster killer. But <laughs> when I read the Witcher novels, I, I get to be that. I get to be Geralt <laughs> killing mm -hmm. monsters and saving the people, you know? So that's why I read, I read to live in different places, in different heads, in different lives. Yeah, probably awesome. a better way of explaining it than escapism, but that was the first word that came to my head. Um, I, I, my life is charmed, and I don't have anything to escape either, but the fact that I can transport myself to um, 19th century France. That's so cool, you know. But <laughs> yes, that's... Um, that's a great question, and 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 it's a good thing for us to think about. Why do we spend this much of our time doing this this thing that we love? Okay, you want to take the next one? I will take the next one. So this uh, next question is from another dear high school friend, Brandon Skidmore, who asks, "What is your favorite book or series to revisit? What is the experience and takeaway?" at different points in your life. So we'll start with the first part of that question. Probably my favorite, and this, this is difficult, this is hard. Um, I know a lot of people are like, why would you reread a book that you've read before? Because you never step in the same river twice, okay? You're a different person tomorrow than you are today. When you reread a book, you are reading it with different eyes. That's why he has the second part of his question about the difference in experiences and takeaways um, at different points in your life. So probably I would have to say the book series that I have read more than any other book series that I, I constantly reread is a little known fantasy series by Raymond E. Feist called The Rift War Saga. It's right here on my bookshelf. It is the first fantasy series I ever read. I think I first read it when I was about 11, maybe 11 or 12 years old. Um, it is high fantasy in the vein of Tolkien. There are elves and dwarves and dragons. There is a young 
orphan boy named Pug who realizes halfway through the series that he is an insanely powerful magician. And it is just the best. And I, I revisit it all the time. When I was younger, I would revisit it because I just loved, I loved the story. I loved the change that the, the young protagonists go through. I love the fact that, like I said before, Pug starts off as this little orphan kitchen boy, and then he becomes the most powerful, mu- uh, I almost said musician, <laughs> the most powerful magician in, in the land. There's also another guy named Thomas who starts off as a little page boy and he becomes an incredible dragon lord. Like, what? That's, that's yeah. crazy. Now that I read it as an adult, I start to notice those things that I love, but I start to notice how things could change for the better in the story. Uh, the story has kind of weak female protagonists sometimes. The story is um, very cliched. You know, it's, it's the little kitchen boy and the little page boy and they become really powerful and they fight the elves and it's, uh, it's, it's very cliched sometimes. And so through reading it again, a story that I know so well, I actually better my own reading and writing prowess when, when I read it again. Yeah. Um, but every single time I read it, it's, it's like when you eat, you know, homemade mac and cheese. It's it's like comfort food in a yes, book. <laughs> exactly. That's that's where I was gonna go with that. I am not one to reread a lot. Um, there are very few books that I reread unless I teach them. Um, and then of course if I'm teaching the book, I have to reread it along with my students. Um, I would say that uh, one of my favorite uh Book, book series to revisit would be one that we've talked about is the Jane Karen series, the Mitford series. It's so sweet. And the, and those characters are kind of like, they're like people I know. They're like friends. I also enjoy, I love the Outlander series. It has all of the stuff in it that I like, the history, the time travel. And I have reread those and I enjoy going back and reading like parts of those books because um, you will find in uh, different places on the web where Diana Gabaldon has has posted or, or released pieces, and to read those almost in short story form. Um, those are those are characters that you know feel like have become a part of your life. I will say this about of mine: um, Susan Green rereads a book that she loves almost every year. And that book is The Beekeeper's Apprentice. And um, it is a Sherlock Holmes, um, Mary Russell by Laurie R. King. And it is a, it is a thinking person's book. And um, she loves it. And I just wanted to plug that one because that's a series that also for me, she introduced it to me and there are a lot of books in that series. And, and those characters become like people you know, like your neighbors or your friends. So that's, you know, that's the whole revisiting thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that book. And I need yeah. to read some of the follow-up books in the series. Um, other books that I often revisit that I've read multiple times. 
there was a book that I had to read in um, in high school, actually, for honors English. I think it was for Miss Lamar's class. I had to read My Name is Asher Lev by Chaim Potok. And it is about a uh, very devout Jewish boy um, who is part of the Hasidic community in New York, who has this just God-given ability to paint and draw and make art. And his community is like, uh, you need to study Talmud. You do not need to paint and draw. You need to be a good Jewish boy and stop trying to be an artist. And he's like, I will not. <laughs> so I, I love that one. Another one that we've talked about before that I will always reread is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Yeah. And then always, I've probably read this one, what, three or four times would be the Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Kingsolver. And another one that I read, and I do read this primarily because I teach it every year, but I look forward to the to the process of rereading it is Frankenstein. All right. So let's look at some at these questions uh, from our Instagram friends, uh, starting off with Jamie Hillman. Jamie is a wonderful former student of mine who is um, a professional woman and so wise. And she has some great questions. So we're going to go through this list. And let me start with the first one. Do you annotate or otherwise take notes while reading? And that for me depends. If I'm reading for pleasure, I don't because I generally don't stop long enough. If I'm reading something to teach it, it's covered. And, and I think that annotation is a great practice. What about you, Emily? If I am reading fiction, no, I do not even mark those pages. However, if I am reading a nonfiction book for my profession, for my day job, uh, which is in public health, Yes, I will take notes. I will highlight and annotate. And I usually, if I do annotate, I'm going to annotate in pencil mm -hmm. because I, because things change. Jamie's second question, <laughs> a whole episode here, favorite nonfiction books. You got to start that one because you're the nonfiction girl. I, I am the nonfiction girl. One of my most favorite nonfiction books is called Rabid. It is about the cultural history of rabies. So how a lot of our myths and practices and understandings have been shaped by this diabolical disease that has affected humankind for millennia. And I absolutely love it. That is one of my most favorite nonfiction reads. That's Rabid by... Bill Wasick and Monica Murphy. Wow. Okay, so that sounds really interesting. I may have to steal that one off of your shelf. Okay, so for me, favorite nonfiction is going to be history because I love reading history. And um, Thomas Cahill wrote this whole series of books, most of which I have read. I've got a couple that I still haven't gotten a hold of. But um, Thomas Cahill wrote this series called The Hinges of History, and he wrote Heretics and Heroes, about the Renaissance, the Mysteries of the Middle Ages, um, uh, let's see, The Gift of the Jews, How the Irish Saved Civilization. Those books are very interesting history. He's kind of tongue-in-cheek. So it's, it's readable. It's like the one I was talking about earlier, The Time Traveler's Guide to the Elizabethan um, Era by Ian Mortimer. These, these are not dry, dull history books. These are done 
with more of the non-student of history view in mind. So I love those books. That, that would be my favorite um, nonfiction. Okay, you want to get the next one? Sure. Books as presents, thoughtful or presumptive? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Um, this year, this past Christmas, of course, we're, we're headed toward it again. This Christmas, I decided very purposefully to give books um, as and start a new tra tradition uh, with my family. And that was to give books that um, as Christmas Eve gifts. And most of those were new. Some of those that I gave to friends were um, uh, books that I had read. So this kind of goes with another question that Jamie poses about how often do you cull your bookshelf? Um, I did that at Christmas and I plan to do that again. And that is, for me, that's a thoughtful kind of gift because I, I sort of look at the book and think, what does this person enjoy? And try to be thoughtful about it. I think that it would be really easy to be presumptive. Like if you gave somebody a self-help book, <laughs> you know, um, then, then it might seem a little presumptive. What do you think? I think it's very thoughtful, but again, like you said, it depends on the person. Yeah. So I know that there are several of my friends that are in the public health world, that if I give them a public health book, they are going to be ecstatic. If I give them any other type of book, they might not enjoy it. Or for some of the people in our lives that are not avid readers, if you give a person who's not a self-proclaimed reader a book, it's almost like you're, you're saying, you should be reading. You should do what I like to do, which, you know, if you have someone in your life who doesn't like exercise or running, you wouldn't give them a Peloton or a pair of running shoes for Christmas. <laughs> calling out Peloton again almost a year later. <laughs> I, um, I do with regard to children. Mm. I have always been that family member who gave books to kids. Mm -hmm. I will yeah. never, ever not give books to kids. Babies as, um, you know, shower gifts. I, I think that your cousins thought growing up that that was the only thing I knew how to buy <laughs> because they always got books from me and they still get books from me. So, yeah, I love books as a gift. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question from Jamie. Do you have books you've bought but never read? Of course. Uh, yes. <laughs> In fact, I feel a little attacked. Um. Of course. Actually, you, you can't see it because this is audio only, but the entire top uh, right section of my bookshelf is to be read. That is my to be read shelf. And oh dear, it probably has, I would say, two dozen books on it. It's, yeah. It's pretty. I, I, have, I have many books that I have bought and haven't gotten to yet. I think the difference in, is, and I think this may be where Jamie was going with the question, is are there books that we've bought and then you, you look at that book on the shelf later on and go, I'm never going to read that, never going to read that. And I have those too. And those need to be called. And um, I got into um, a fan fiction 
craze uh, here several years ago with Jane Austen fan fiction, and I bought a series at Second and Charles because they were cheap. I read my way through the first half, and I bought the whole series because I thought, oh, it's Jane Austen fan fiction. And I read halfway through the first one, and I didn't like the writing. So one of these days, that series is going to go. They're in the closet, and no, I haven't read them, and I really don't know that I will because there's there are things I'd other, uh, you know, other things I prefer to read. Um, giveaway, sell, or donate. Um, yes, yes, and yes. Anyway, you you know. And the criteria, what is the criteria for the ones you keep? For me, I always make sure to keep books that I've had since childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that might sound weird to, you know, people that are more minimalist and they don't want to clunk up their house with old books. But a lot of the books that I enjoyed in my childhood, I want to relive again when I have kids. I want to share those books with my children one day. So I make sure to keep them. If it's a book that is going to help me professionally. So if it's a public health book that I know I can use as reference later, I will definitely keep that. Um, And then other books I I'll give away, I'll sell, I will donate. But if there's even the slightest chance, I will look at it again, reread it. Even if I have a fond memory associated with it, I'll keep it. The books that I will always keep are the ones that have kind of have I've made that special connection with um, and the teaching copies of the novels that I have taught and loved teaching. Like I have my teaching copy of Jane Eyre. I have my teaching copy of East of Eden and Wuthering Heights and Poisonwood Bible and Heart of Darkness, even though it made the throwaway list. Um, Kate Chopin and and so many different things that I look at the at the annotations in those books and I see the faces of my students and I see you know the moments those aha moments in class and those are precious memories to me and so yeah um, I will keep those so this last question from Jamie is either of you planning on writing a book Emily I'm going to turn that one over to you Oh, that's a great question. And yes, one day I would love to write and publish uh, multiple books in both fiction and nonfiction. Um, I have been writing stories since I was nine, nine or 10 years old. Um, And I have started multiple uh, works. I wasn't mature enough as a writer to actually finish them. But I think I'm getting to that place where I can I can actually see a book through to the end. Um, I'm much more mature as a reader. And so I, I feel like it's coming up in the next couple of years. I will be hopefully transitioning from just a, a reader to a reader and an author. So, yes. That's awesome. Well, while we're, we're here, let me just say that um, Jamie Hillman is a great professional woman. And if you... Uh, want to get some really wise advice, um, check her out on Instagram at Jamie on Purpose. I think I remembered that correctly. Wonderful professional coaching advice from a dear former student. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, let's move on uh, to some questions by a great friend of ours, Terry Houston. 
Dr. Uh, Terry Houston. Dr. Terry Houston. You can find him on Instagram at Terry for Prez. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Terry asks, what is the best book to movie adaptation? I am ready with this one. We've actually, uh, we mentioned it last week, I believe. Okay. And that is Sense and Sensibility starring Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet. I think it was, was it directed by? Ang Lee. Ang Lee, yes. Mm -hmm. Also has Alan Rickman. In my humble opinion, one of the best book to movie adaptations of all recorded time. Emma Thompson won uh, the Golden Globe for best adapted screenplay for a reason. And if you want to see something very funny, go on YouTube and search, (laughs) go on YouTube and search Emma Thompson's acceptance speech for when she received her Golden Globe for that adapted screenplay, because she reads her acceptance speech as Jane Austen. It's amazing. It's so fun. Um, And she does such a great job with it. She captures uh, Jane Austen. Yeah, I have to agree with that one. I love that particular um, adaptation. A lot of times you hear that, you know, the book's always better. And sometimes the book is better. Um, A lot of times the book is better. But I have to say... As far as adaptation, and and people are probably going to run me through the meat grinder on this one, (laughs) Um, book-to-movie series adaptation would be Game of Thrones for me. Until you get to the last season, and I know we've all got issues. But (laughs) (laughs) I think I could not – I read the first book, and it was just a lot, and the – I think they did a great job with the adaptation of that. Um, and I know a lot of people just, you know, Martin fans are going to hate that, but I think it was a good adaptation there. Mm-hmm. I, I actually completely agree. Um, and I say that as an avid fantasy reader, George R. R. Martin's writing style is not my favorite style to read. He's very heavy on the description a lot of people like that. And if you like that, that's awesome. Taste very. But I much preferred watching the show up until season eight, of course. I much preferred watching the show to reading the books. I think I read the first three, if I remember, uh, the first three novels. And by the third one, I just remember thinking, I'd rather consume this as a show instead yeah. of a book. Let me say something about movie adaptations of books that might be a little bit surprising to some folks. Um, as a teacher, some, some books are digestible the first go-round best visually. And I say that with um, things that are classic literature. If, if you have to read, if you've been assigned to read um, Shakespeare or some kind of classic fiction and you find it confusing, find a good critically acclaimed movie adaptation and watch it first because that way it gives you something in your head to hang those ideas on and it makes it easier. So when I'm going to start teaching Macbeth next week to my seniors, we're going to start off with act one visually before we consume it in, you know, literarily, 
just so they can kind of see that. And I think that's a wonderful benefit of our age is there's so many adaptations to choose from. I'll start that lesson off with six different adaptations of just the witches scene just so they can get a taste of that and then they can kind of see it and and it makes it easier so we're, we're living in a wonderful age for that mm-hmm. all right i will say too though because jamie followed up to terry's question with what's the worst adaptation of a book to a movie and i will say that th- there are several but one that comes immediately to mind is christopher paolini's aragon he he wrote that book when he was 19 years old and it was not the most wonderful fantasy book but it was a wonderful debut effort for a 19 year old fantasy author and hollywood took that book and just destroyed it like that is the worst worst movie adaptation of a book I think I've ever seen. Now, he recently came out with a new novel just, I think this past month, called To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. It is his first foray into science fiction, and the movie rights to that book have already been acquired. So I am hoping that Christopher Paolini gets a good movie adaptation, and I would love it if they would actually revisit Aragon and do it correctly. Yeah. That would be great. Okay, so let's take a look at our next um, our next contributor, question contributor. <laughs> Emily, you want to go with this one? Yes, this is from Casey Clark, dear, dear friend um, and husband to my best friend, Elisa. And Casey asked through Instagram, and this is a, a scandalous question, but who is the hottest fictional character you've encountered in a book and why? And I will say probably the hottest the first one that comes to mind is jamie frazier from outlander (laughs) and and let me just say casey that when i looked at this question i was like okay is casey asking for hottest as in sexy or hottest as in amazing but i think he's probably looking for hottest fictional character um and jamie frazier from outlander is hottest because he's Scottish. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's he's a, a tall, handsome, kilted Scotsman. And it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. But he's also um, brave and daring and, and kind and compassionate. He has all of the different things that, that make him um, amazing. And he, that's my top pick. My second pick is going to be controversial. <laughs> this is a scandalous, titillating podcast. Yes, it is indeed. Um, Heathcliff from Weathering Heights. Oh. Yeah. That broody, dark, slightly mentally deranged because of love, some for some reason, has a little appeal. And you know what? To go with the broody type thing, broody hero, my honorable mention goes to Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. I love Aragorn. You know, yeah. he's he's the rightful king. He's the hero. He's He lives a really long time. Like, he's kind of human, but still magical in mm-hmm. Tolkien's world, because um, he's one of the, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, one of the Dunedain people that lived a really long time. 
I love Aragorn. He's he's a hot character. Yeah. Um, several. Uh, one other honorable mention from my favorite author, Sharon K. Penman, Penman um, who writes historical fiction and wrote the um, trilogy that starts with Here Be Dragons. Um, it's one of my favorites. Llewellyn Ap Griffith, who was the king of Wales. Awesome character. Quite tasty. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the last questions that we have that we can just go through really quickly are four randos that I got from Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't have any names for these, but I will just read some of them out and we can answer them really quick. So our randos from Twitter. Do you prefer ebooks or printed books? Mm, for me, that it's going to get a 50-50. I love to hold a book in my hands, but I also like convenience. Um, ebooks are wonderful to just take in your on your device and in your pocket, and you can read them whenever. Um, I I would say I do about seventy five percent of my reading in in paper, you know, books. Um, about twenty five percent in ebooks, and for me, it's the experience of of the reading, not necessarily having to open up a book and and be able to feel those pages and <laughs> have that book smell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and know? I definitely prefer a printed book. Ebooks are wonderful for convenience, um, especially wonderful um, using my Libby app and mm -hmm. downloading them directly from the library. But given a choice, I will always pick a printed book. So our next question, what is your favorite book that you've read so far in 2020? So I already kind of answered this question at the very beginning with The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang, but I want to hear what your favorite book uh, from 2020 so far is. Well, you know, we're getting on into the end of the year. There have been quite a few books, um, you know, because we've had so much um, so much more time to read. My favorite book so far in 2020 is one that I started out at the beginning of the pandemic. I will reread this book, but it's by my favorite author, Sharon K. Penman. It's her latest um, book, The Land Beyond the Sea, and it is about the, um, it's about Jerusalem when Jerusalem was ruled by Christian kings, and in particular about a young king um, named Baldwin who um, had leprosy and it of course it's her research is amazing this is a tremendous character um, it's a great book Land Beyond the Sea by Sharon Penman and I will follow up and say that Poppy War was my favorite fiction read my favorite non-fiction read so far in 2020 was Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria right. by Dr. Be Beverly Daniel Tatum, um, which is a book on the development of a racial psychology. And I found it fascinating and immensely helpful um, and, and developing for, for myself. So that's my favorite nonfiction read. Right. Nonfiction I'm, for me would be uh, Stamped by uh, Abram Kendi and um, Jason Reynolds. Awesome book. Do you set yourself a reading goal or a book list each year? Uh, no, I don't. I don't set myself a reading goal. Um, I probably need to set myself a reading limit. Because, 
<laughs> that would be as close to it as it would be. I'm sure your dad wishes I would set myself a reading limit, but that's not going to happen. Um, there have been times when I have gone theme-wise, and like several years ago, I decided during a summer break from school to only read Dickens. And so I had what I called What the Dickens Summer. And so I only read books by Dickens. That was great. Um, but as far as setting a reading goal, I don't. What about you? I have only ever set a reading goal once. I think it was for the year 2015, maybe it's like 15, 16, somewhere in there. And I read 38 books that year. Um, but that's the only time I've ever set a goal or had a list. Usually I read whatever I fancy. Right. And, and I think that people who do set reading goals, I think that is admirable. And I think that's wonderful if that's what they want to do just don't let it become a drudgery you know like oh mm. my gosh I've got to read because I've got this goal and I've got to you know it's like losing 25 pounds you know if you're not having fun with it ditch it you know exactly because it needs to be something that you enjoy all right last question what other passions do you have outside of reading and writing take it away kiddo Okay, so other passions that I have outside of reading and writing. Um, if you know me, you know that I'm, I'm very passionate about public health and mental health. Um, that's my day job. I, I work in public mental health right now. Um, and then other than that, I'm incredibly passionate about fitness. I, I love, I'm one of those weirdos. <laughs> I actually really like getting hot and sweaty and working out. I love running. Um, and my lifelong fitness passion has always been the martial arts. I've been training in martial arts since I was about 10 years old, started with Taekwondo, um, transitioned to Muay Thai and kickboxing. And now uh, I've been training in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which is a grappling martial art for a little under a year. And that is my new professed obsession and love. I'm absolutely in love with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I, I foresee myself doing it for a really because uh, I love it so much. Um, so those are those are my big passions. I, I also like to cook and eat a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes it really good that you like all that fitness stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> we could not be any more opposite. I know. This really, like, this is what we have in common. This, this is, is our shared about. passion <laughs> is reading and books and, and literature because everything else, you and I are like on opposite ends. So, so in, in, when Emily starts talking about um, fitness and exercise, I smile happily and my eyes glaze over. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I try to be an interested mother. But, no, actually, I really am. But um, my passions are, I have a few. Um, first of all, family. My family is my passion. Well, now um, you make me sound like a Grinch. Because I'm like, I like cooking and running. And you're like, my family. (laughs) Well, you don't have any children yet. And so (laughs) I think that kind of becomes a, that's a thing. But um, so, you know, making sure that my family's pretty happy, that's a big deal. Other than that, I am a textile fiend. I enjoy working with my hands. I am a, I have quilted for Gosh, do you even remember a time when I didn't quilt, Emily, Mm -mm. or so? Probably not. I do not. 
I quilt, nothing fancy. I just enjoy the therapy of it. Um, I sew, I like to craft, I knit, I crochet. I am, and you don't even know this, Emily, but I'm probably in the next few days going to pick up a loom from a friend. And so I'm going to try to learn to weave. I just haven't gotten the loom yet. So a friend of, of um, ours from church heard me say something um, about, you know, liking to work with my hands. And he said, well, I have this loom that, you know, we're, we're looking to get rid of. So um, anything that has to do with um, textile art, I adore. So that's awesome. it. <laughs> Confession time. I didn't know looms still existed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not as big a craze. It's not a big as, uh, as big a thing to do as quilting and knitting and crocheting. But there are still people who spin and, you know, still people. There's still people who weave. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that is our entire list of questions. I actually can't believe that we got through all of that in. I know. The time that we did but um before we go i want to let everyone know where they can reach us online so why don't you share where people can follow you or contact you or get in touch with you yes i'm on facebook at ann ferguson stancil and i am on instagram at lulu the lit lover so appropriate <laughs> And I am on Instagram at Emily Caroline Moore, all one word. That's my personal account. Or if you want to follow my book blog, I do manage a, a book blog that's at read underscore more underscore books. And that's just where I blog about all the books that I love in both English and Spanish because I do read in two languages. Uh, and then also you can contact me on Twitter at Emily C underscore more. And the last place and newest place where you can get in contact with me is I have started a blog about writing at emilycarolinemore.com, where essentially it's just me yelling at myself about how to write. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds like okay. we covered it. Sounds like we are donezo. So I guess I will see you next week and just so you guys know a teaser for next week next week is the week before halloween so next week we will be going over all of the spooky reads that are most appropriate for halloween time so make sure that you tune in for that one sounds like a winner we'll see you next week emily see you next week bye bye